This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.83% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, you need to ask, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Compare IBKR's ability to pay interest of up to 4.83% to other brokers who can only often pay you less than half a percent. That's just one of the many reasons clients use interactive brokers to trade stocks, options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and more. When placing your money with a broker, you need to make sure your broker is secure and can endure good and bad times. IBKR strong capital position, conservative balance sheet, and automated risk controls are designed to protect IBKR and its clients from large trading losses. Their prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you interest rates higher with demonstrated security and financial strength. Rates, of course, are subject to change. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Forty-eight hours in Nashville, mega caps puke up some of the gains that they made recently. Potential for reflation is coming. Watch for that word. And our guest today is Lou Bassanisi, president of Public Ventures. All this and much more on episode number eight twenty-nine of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. stock markets, though. We did see some interesting things happen this week as mega caps did turn the side and turned cheek to, oh, we always go up to, you know, maybe it's time to start thinking about valuations. That's exactly what happened, I think, this week. Hey, I'm Andrew Horowitz, and thanks for joining me on this show each and every week, the Discipline Investor Podcast. I'm the host, of course, the president of Horowitz Company as well, investment advisory firm. So, uh, I want to thank you so much for, for tuning in. So what are we going to talk about this week? I want to keep it relatively short for the intro this, this week. I could talk to you about Nashville. What a great time. Spending 48 hours Friday at noon to Sunday at noon, in and out, just to spend the time. I've never been there before, but hit it all. Grand Ole Opry, uh, Broadway, several different restaurants. Thank you, by the way, for those of you that gave me suggestions for some great barbecues, some great steaks, some great speakeasies. Really wonderful town overall. And really inspiring of, of the importance you're moved, you're moved of, of how important country music is in the lives of millions of people. It's, 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 it's almost a religious experience being there. You know, it's almost like not to the same extent, but being at the wall in Jerusalem where you look around, you're like, wow, the history, the depth, the love, the, 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 the following that this has again, different religion versus music, but nonetheless, 
really, you, you felt it. it. It was it was there. It was ingrained. It was a beautiful thing. So what do we know? What do we know what's going on? I think that what we're seeing right now is the, the final numbers right now for the S&P 500 down sequentially year over year, just a smidge over maybe 5%, 5% loss, 5% reduction of earnings, like, you know, a, a drop, deceleration, negative growth, whatever you want to call it, from a year ago. It was about 7.4%. Now it's about 5.2%, give or take. The mega caps helped out a couple of weeks into uh, the the uh, last couple of weeks, and that was really good. But we're definitely in an earnings recession for the S&P 500 companies. And, you know, thank goodness for the mega, mega caps. You, you got to really say it with a respectful eye because without them, just like we saw without some other companies over the last few years or sectors like energy was the savior for 2022 in terms of one place that was a hideout. But thank goodness for the mega caps because their earnings helped in a big way towards the end of earnings season, particularly for Apple and Amazon. Apple, not so good, but Amazon, great. In fact, if we look at some of the reports from FactSet, this right now is the worst earnings downturn since third quarter of 2022. And that's only because it was the worst since the second quarter of 2020, 2020, excuse me, 2020, before we saw the most recent numbers uh, from the big companies last week. But there is hope. There's hope because there's a lot of people thinking that this is the bottom. And they're saying, you know, the earnings, uh, the, the, the earnings is, is, is really going to only accelerate from here. Always looking for a silver lining, I guess, right? But we still have to wonder why and how is this going to be the bottom? If, in fact, we are seeing the implications of higher interest rates and a slowing economy. We see what's happening from import-exports that were just atrocious in China last week. Horrible monthly numbers. I mean, really showing that the consumer is pulling back. And why shouldn't they when their housing prices are dropping? And that is one of the most important financial aspects for the Chinese individual. and investor is their home. And when we look at the, the valuation of that compared to where it was, and this whole reopening trade that was supposed to be so exciting— well, don't get me started on this. Fact of the matter is that what we're seeing this year is a very significant slowdown overall, for the most part, in many areas of the consumer market, a, a steepening uh, yield curve that is coinciding with a whole heck of a lot. That's a official financial term. A whole heck of a lot of an increase in debt, not only from the sovereigns, but also individuals. Individuals are... are widening their debt to historic levels, both on a revolving base and mortgages and non-revolving. So basically what we found was the last week, people are putting a lot of money on their credit cards to keep the spending going. And what is it we know about credit cards? Well, we don't know that they're very fair and honorable types of ways to invest. I mean, they are the closest thing that you can get to basically a loan shark on the street. 2021, 24% interest rates is incredible that that's even allowed. But that is what people are doing. They're building their credit cards back up because they've run through a lot of their savings post-COVID handouts. And that's what's going on right now. So what we see this year is not a good earnings situation. The economics eh, in the United States, definitely the cleanest shirt in a dirty 
clothing closet of shirts. So it's the cleanest shirt in the closet of a, of a bunch of dirty shirts. And what we're seeing is that places like, you know, parts of Europe in a recession and China and uh, forget Japan. Japan is not even an economy anymore. It's just a managed uh, country based on continuation of extremely low interest rates and, and government handouts. But last week, we, we spoke about some of the, the recent downgrades of the U.S. sovereign debt by Fitch, right? We talked about that last week. Well, this week, we need to touch on the downgrade of some of the banks by Moody's. And in a way, it kind of makes sense. If you think about what went on with the sovereign debt reduction, then you have the, the ancillaries like the Fannie Mae, uh, uh, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae's. Those are downgraded as well because, of course, you can't have any of the ancillary uh, agencies that are in a country at a higher debt level, a grade, if you will, compared to the country themselves. So the downgrade takes its toll. And then what we saw was the Moody's downgrade on the banks. Why? Well, that was because banks really, if you can't, you got to knock the entire financial system down, you're going to have to knock down the banks as well. And then that, that's an issue that's been harboring and, and, and really causing problems for some time since March, actually. And you got to wonder again, you know, the bullish argument to all this is, well, the ratings agencies are always late. You know, think of the relationship of what I'm talking about is that, you know, you have this downgrade of the um, of the sovereign and the agencies have to be downgraded and possibly some of the underlying financial system, a la the banks, are also downgraded. So that may be that relationship that's there. That could be what's going on. But we do know this has been some significant stress on the regional, the smaller banks with their lending, with their their asset portfolios that we, we saw that they're being nailed by, I think 50 banks or so are being nailed for in, inappropriately marking their bonds and putting in reports that were they're inaccurate. They'd rather get a fine rather than get the wrath of the markets. These are some things I'm going to get to with our guests. And I said, I want to make this a little bit of a shorter intro this week so that we can get right to uh, this because I have, I think four pages of questions that I dreamt up and that we went over to discuss today. So we'll get right to that. Before we do that, I want to talk about interactive brokers just for a moment, because with interactive brokers, you can access a vast selection of global fixed income securities in the interactive brokers bond marketplace. What you could do is search their deep availability of over 1 million bonds globally. IBKR has no markups or built-in spreads and low, fully transparent commissions on bonds. IBKR also displays the highest bids and lowest offers received from the electronic venues they access. In addition, clients can interact with each other by placing bids and offers online to execute, execute their trades. Interactive brokers. I want you to learn more at ibkr.com bonds. And our guest today is Lou Bassanese. He's president and chief market strategist for Public Ventures, LLC. And he's a well-known thought leader and advocate for young technology companies with promising intellectual property, also known as IP. You know, that's the fancy way of saying things. He brings decades of experience as a public venture investor and independent analyst, as well as marketing, communications, and investor and public relations professional. So he's a smart guy, let's just say that. Uh, and a guy that uh, I should have probably hooked up with in Nashville last weekend, right? 
Yeah, man, that would have been great. That would have been fun. What was really cool about that was also on on Friday at the Grand Ole Opry, they brought some of the, the, the one of these kind of the um, um, race car drivers in for the was a formula was not what was a formula it was uh, Indy Indy racing right yes and yes. Uh, but what was really cool is I mean it's right on the roads of, of Nashville so like Friday they're practicing and all you you hear this wild noise and then you get this waft of this burning yeah. rubber smell and that was downtown <laughs> Broadway it was great. Yeah. A lot of fun. For anyone that's listening to, I don't know if you made it, but my number one recommendation there is called the listening room. It's a little venue. They do like two shows a, or three shows a day. And it's, it's usually three or four songwriters that get up there acoustic and give you like the story behind the big hits they've mm. written. And they're usually way better than the actual big act. So it's a, it's a cool spot. What's the little one, the blue something, the blue bird. Blue yeah. Bird. There's a, there's a few, another you good one is losers. Them. No, you can't. Um, but losers in Midtown. There's a losers on Broadway. It's not a winning one, but right. there's a losers in Midtown. That's a, it's a good good one. Wasn't, it, wasn't there a, a bar, wasn't the story that it started at a bar? One side was winners, and they opened yeah, up losers yeah. <laughs> yeah. next door. Losers and winners. <laughs> well, that's the point. Like let's, a, let's that's like the stock yeah. market. Let's talk about the losers right now, which is um, the U.S. in terms of. They're downgrade. Now, I want to start with a big macro discussion today, then bear it down sure. to some other things. But, you know, the Fitch downgrade last couple of weeks ago, whenever it was, when probably overdue uh, due to the spending. But, you know, uh, taken as initially like a shock for, what, 20 minutes? And then uh, <laughs> and, and then everybody rationalizes, you know, it away. And then we will we'll, we'll kind of go into from there the Moody's downgrade of which which made sense. And I was describing right. that at the top of the show. But let's talk about the Fitch first. Any any real issues with that in terms of yeah, long term? I, mean, I think long term, it, it just, you know, it puts it front and center that everyone needs to realize how much debt we have. Um, I don't think anyone really cares. It's, it's gotten to the point where the number's so big, you just kind of, it's at a, it, they don't have any context for how big of a problem it's going to be down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but Washington has traditionally just kicked it, the can down the road repeatedly. And, you know, there's going to be a day of reckoning. I don't tend to be a doom and gloomer, but, you know, we have to be a realist. And at some point, if we ever get any discipline on spending and actual you know, fiscal <laughs> conservancy, if then, you, you know, can't, that's though. Be you can't because yeah. it's all about the politics. It is. So, so how you do know, you possibly have discipline when nobody listen? The big issue was tell me what you think. Right. The big issue was for years in America, like, you know. We want cheap shirts, but we don't want to make them, right? We'll get them from China. We'll figure out how to, you know, build the Chinese market so that they we can get shirts that it would cost us $12 for a crappy T-shirt. Here, we could buy it for a buck and a half, all in, delivered from China. And we become so enamored. Look, I, I was in Nashville. Talk about obnoxious. Every restaurant I went to that gave me the machine to pay, it was pegged on the 25% tip. It's amazing. It's and I've like, seen places where no. it's like thirty yeah. percent starting grants. Like really? Come yeah, the on. guy's like, just sign the bottom. I'm like, oh, do you want me to look at? It? No, everything's there. Did you all you have to sign now? I'm like, uh, <laughs> why'd you push the twenty five percent button? Who gets twenty five percent tip? You yeah. know, especially if they're just pouring a coffee. I mean, that's the one that always gets me. Is like they don't actually do any service. They just, <laughs> right. Here's your drink. Right. Yeah. Right. So, if we are a, 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 a an economy here in the United States that we are you know, all socialites and above doing any kind of menial labor. And at the same time, we want to get paid because we're due our share and we don't want to take any of the reversal, right? The money came in, it never has to go out. Whether yeah. it's, how do we, how do we rectify that? 
Man, I, if I had the answer, I'd probably be president of the United States. I don't know. <laughs> there is no answer. That's the point, isn't there it? There is no, no. It is because look, you have a system that is set up to reward staying in power, and they do everything they can. So you don't do things that are unpopular because then you get voted out, and that's just not. You know, we have career politicians. I mean, term mm. limits would be amazing. We have minimum requirements on on age. We should have maximum. You know, we should have at least age limits, and, and if not term limits. And I think that would be the start of a lot of change, both fiscally and socially, where. People will actually have a, a, a feeling of being civil and civil servants, right? Hey, I can only be in Congress for however, I don't care, four terms or whatever it is, six terms. They know then they have a time limit on getting things done. Now it's get me in there and keep me in power for as long as I need and let's not rock the boat. And yeah. you know, being fiscally disciplined would be very countercultural, rock the boat and land you out of office very quickly. So. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's I was about to I was about to start screaming, preach, preach preach because uh you know the idea of term limits on the age and age is is i don't understand you know you look at the constitution and you say okay well the founding fathers thought of all these things and of course some things changed over time and that's why there's amendments and right. uh you know one of the things that changed over time was life expectancy has has the differential between you know dying at 50 that was like the end of life back in the day when the founding file, maybe forties when the founding fathers created the document. And that's only a, you know, a couple hundred years, by the way, we our, our life expectancy has grown so dramatically, but the point remains that it's different now. And the, the idea that we have an 85 year old decrepit man or woman in the white house. Now you could have a 60 year old decrepit, you know, yeah. mindless individual, but that's, I get that. Right. I, I understand that. And, but my point is, it seems like, the entirety of Congress is like this. They all, when they go to lunch, you know, they're all wearing bibs, right? Can you see it? <laughs> Look, it's, it's, I'd say the analogy is this, like even the really old people retire from the senior PGA tour. So yeah. we, politicians got to retire too. Like you don't see, you know, the 85 year olds out on the senior PGA tour anymore. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a sad testament to where we are. These are the best that we can put forward as the candidates to run the country. Yeah, that's the point. Uh, both. Yeah, I mean, it's just that's just reality, right? It's, so we're going to slide into um, into Moody's, their downgrade, and then yeah. I want to talk about some of these 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 names out here. And I want to really talk to you also about uh, this, you know, the excitement of AI. You know, one of the shows I do is DH Unplugged, and we talk about the the catchphrases that are used over the years. And you talk about like right. cloud, and everybody's like, oh, and internet back in the day, oh, and you know, IoT, that, ooh, exciting. And then you Absolutely. have blockchain, everybody's like, oh my God. And now we have, you know, we kind of go through, go through, go through. During COVID, it was like vaccine, and somebody had some kind of vaccine thing. Now, on the news that we saw this week, you know, US Steel is working with Google for generative AI. And we're going to get to that in a second. <laughs> but let's talk All about right. from Fitch now to Moody's. That is being seen as a silver lining, right? As Oh, the rating agencies are always late. This happened months ago. That was a blip in time, weird situation back in March with the bank failures. Everybody's fine now. Are we in the yeah. financial side? Uh, I, no, uh, we're definitely not fine, but it's you know par for the course for the rating agencies and even sell-side analysts. They're always late, right? They, they don't want to put their necks out there and risk looking actually prescient and say, hey, we're worried about this because – you know, anyone that was paying attention to regional banks and the commercial real estate market in the last year knew that there's a problem brewing. Uh, it didn't take a genius to figure that out. When you go come from a time where work from home became the routine because of COVID, uh, the next connection is that there's not going to be a lot of people, their occupancy rates in office space. Uh, and there was a lot of tier one class A office space built 
that now is, you know, resting at, at record low occupancy. So, you know, it, I think it's good. I mean, that the rating industry has finally got around to it. I think, you know, investors being nonplussed by the fact that there's a downgrade is really, you know, bull markets crawl, climb walls of worry. Um, I worry, though, about the commercial real estate um, and the exposure. I don't, I don't think we've really hit the bottom in that or anywhere close yet. Well, you know, the one like thing the that, that occupancy rate, uh, I think it's 20% uh, average not occupancy non-occupancy rate, you know, vacancy rate in right. the U.S. But what's interesting is that we saw also the news this week that the the New York City, Manhattan, Manhattan average rental price in Manhattan is like 5500 a month, which is an all-time high. One of the things that has happened is this is, you know what this is? Luke, follow me here. Tell me what you think. This is the equivalent of going from a defined um, a, a pension plan where, you, where you'd have um, – you know, a, a defined outcome versus right. a, a, a 401k, right? So we had, uh, back in the day, you work for a company, you work for 30 years and they pay, yeah. you know, $1,200, $1,500 a month forever. That was on the company. That was on the company. Somebody one right. day said, oh, I have an idea. Let's make everybody think that they're in charge of their pension plan in the future and we'll put a couple bucks in, right? Yeah. So yeah. so what, what happened was that now they shifted the risk and the cost of the retirement to the individual. So far, so good? Yeah, no, I'm following you. Now they shifted the cost of office space to the individual. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, they absolutely have. What a it's, fantastic you know, situation for companies that, do, that don't necessarily have the office space they have to pay for. That's why the occupancy rates are up, uh, or the vacancy rates are up, sorry. And that's why the rental price and the housing market is staying because now you got your bathroom, you got your bedroom, you got your kitchen, you got your real office, not the house office anymore. You know, the old house office. I mean, office, right. office. So yeah. this, I think there's there's something to be said about the stickiness of property prices on the residential side, potentially, versus the non-stickiness or the concern about commercial. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I would agree with you. I think, you know, you're seeing a big push to get people to return to the office. I don't think you're going to get, you know, there's big tech companies that are mandating, you know, Google three times a week. and they're going to do the best they can to get people back in the office to, to kind of remedy those um, low occupancy rates. But I think the American worker, you've seen it, right? Like there's plenty of jobs out there. There's certain jobs. There's a lot of jobs people don't want to do. And the ones that are actually skilled employees thought, you know, in the idea economy, they're going to wait for the jobs that allow them to work from home. So I, I would agree with you. I, I'm not surprised that rents are stickier. And, you know, the next derivative of that is, you know, inflation is going to stay high because you're going to yeah. keep seeing like we, we have gr grossly underbuilt residential um, units and throughout the country. So you're going to, you know, it's going to be persistence. I, I, you know, CPI number that came out today shows that inflation is still pretty sticky. Um, we're not out of the woods yet by any means. I, I think the Fed's going to hike rates again, um, you know, one more time, probably. I've been pretty contrarian about that going back at, you know, six, seven months that we still had two rate hikes in the middle of the year. And you know, real estate's a huge component of inflation. So food, energy, real estate, uh, I'm not seeing this, you know, return to 2% anytime soon. Yeah. Let's talk about, let's kind of move into your area of, of, of true expertise here now. Although I will stay, state one point um, that I did bring up at the top of the show that uh, we are in an earnings recession. When we look at the totality of earnings growth from the S&P 500 as a, as a total you know, market, if you will. Obviously, every co company's different, but even even Apple, which we're going to talk about second uh, in a second. I mean, honestly, their report uh, mediocre. It was fine. Yeah. Did it deserve 
to have the multiples now that it has, you may say, well, they're doing the buybacks, which is like, you know, a big thing these days. Uh, and uh, they're a cash cow. It's also a safety play, a safety trade. Um, we can think of all the good things. And I know you are an Apple fanboy. You got the watch, but I'm sure you got, you, you had the first iPod that was out there. You got, you know, every phone when it came out, you're like, I'm getting the new one right now. Is that right? Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a admitted, you know, self-designated Apple fanboy for life, but I haven't gone in that whole hog where I own every new device that comes out. But I just look at it as it's probably one of the best businesses that's ever been created in terms of having a, a loyal user base that now, you know, Apple for a while, they used to say it's innovate or die time. They just have to iterate and, and they keep, you know, ma making more money from it because you have an installed base of over a billion users. You have um, a services platform that delivers high margin, recurring revenues. And then they do the things prudent, you know, prudent fiscal management where, like you said, they're buying back stock, they're increasing the dividend. It's hard to find the chink in the armor. I do think you put a finger on it though. Um, with the multiple expansion, you know, how do you justify, you know, for years, everyone would, you know, criticize Apple because it was trading at a low multiple. Yeah, it was like 15 or 18 was, forever. It's like, what's right. up with that? Right. And then we pivoted to when services actually crossed a, you know, a key threshold of maybe 10 billion in revenues where everyone said, you know what, we'll give it a higher premium multiple. Um, you know, I, I just, my thing is it's tough to bet against Apple. I mean, you've seen over since Tim Cook has taken over the stock up. Uh, 12, 1300% since August of 2011. Yeah, there's been periods where it sells off. Uh, it usually happens in this time of the year where people get concerned a week, you know, Q2 report or June quarter, which is never one of their strong quarters. Um, you start seeing weakness in the stock and that's traditionally been a buying opportunity. So, um, you know, people got to, people got to, it's a huge stock, right? That's not a stock we, we usually deal in the much smaller cap yeah, sure. uh, end of the market. So, you know, you got to have expectations if you're looking and considering to buy Apple. It's not going to go up 100% or 200% um, unless it got really beat up like Meta did, you know, uh, you know, a year ago. And wow. that, stock's, that was something. That was something. Uh, crazy run. Had, yeah. So, you know, so, so with I, this, did I miss it? Yeah. So, this, yeah. Well, I've, I've, so if you're a self proclaimed um, Apple fanboy, I'm a self uh, proclaimed Facebook hater. So uh, I've never liked the stock. Amen. I never liked the stock. I never liked the company. I never liked how it was run. I always thought it was like, there's just something not right about it. But then again, you know, like I said, you know, you can be, I, I have plenty of clients with, with Facebook as a, as a stock that we own, but um, I've never been like, Oh, let's go get that. You know, I just, it just, it just always I agree. Felt no, look, I mean, we're, we're sitting in the, in the same church in the same pew on that one. I'll yeah. tell you that yeah. uh, I actually was short it when it came out on the IPO because they were, you know, 88% desktop based and they hadn't figured out, figured out mobile yet. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just have avoided it. Even fundamentally, the earnings were, growth was off the charts. Uh, user base was growing, but fundamentally the, you know, the people on the platform are the product and they've been exploited time and time again um, with, you know, reckless abandon. There's just a total disregard for privacy. And I just can't, you know, I've long said that they put profits over principles and just have avoided the stock. There's a lot of other investments out there that I can put money to work in. Um, so I'm with you. you so know, let's I've let's never, talk about one other thing when you and I disagree on this a little bit, but Amazon, uh, Amazon actually had a decent quarter. A lot of it was related to, you know, uh, better than, it, well, better than, uh, better than feared, right? Was that, that was kind of, I think this whole quarter again was better than feared, you know, the concept of it yeah. right? for everybody. Um, you know, we went from a 7.5% decline at the beginning of the quarter from a, a year over year. I think we're going to finish the quarter about 5.2% overall EPS negative growth. Uh, so 2% better still doesn't justify the multiples in my opinion, but that's another story. 
Amazon, you don't seem to like it. You see, you're talking about AWS as a deceler- decelerating um, revenue um, and quarter over quarters down. But do you see, I'm going to slide two things into this, the, you know, the, the AWS. One of the problems with AWS is it's gotten expensive for people, right? Yeah. There's other alternatives out there. I mean, I've looked at that as an option. I'm like, why would I do that? It just seems yeah. crazy to pay for every bit of bandwidth, whereas you could have your own server, you get on your own service, for example, you know? Um, and have unlimited bandwidth. So uh, what is it that you don't like with the AWS versus Azure versus Google Cloud and things of that nature that you're shying away from Amazon? Yeah, I mean, look, I think Amazon's a great business. You've seen in the last quarter of the report when they look to drop the money down to the, you know, the bottom line, they can do it. There's a lot of leverage in it. I just see it as right now, it's, uh, you know, two, it's a two-pronged business, right? It's cloud and, and retail. Um, retail, I'm worried about the consumer spending, you know, it's held up very mightily, uh, against all odds at some point, you know, maybe two quarters ago, I think it was, we had Amazon and Walmart talking about how they're noticing different buying patterns and mm-hmm. consumers. Uh, I think that's going to rear its ugly head again, which will put pressure on Amazon from that side of the business. Uh, they've talked about that, you know, weakness we're seeing now, not necessarily in the U S but spread throughout Europe, China. Um, and then AWS, look, they used to be the only game in town. And so they owned cloud computing. They were the only option, the only real scalable option. But if you look, the quarter over quarter growth rate there has just started to come down significantly. I think the last quarter was just 12% year over year or quarter over quarter. And, you know, that's down from highs of 30 to 40%. Whereas Microsoft is, you know, eating Amazon's lunch right now. They're grabbing a lot of market share, still running at about a 24 to 25% growth rate. Um, so I just think where we're headed um, in terms of the consumer is a, is a headwind for Amazon. The competition in the cloud is a headwind. And then you layer on AI, um, Microsoft has a distinct advantage there because of their investment in open AI. And, and then they can then push down AI into all their services where Amazon, not, not saying they don't have um, good innovation there, but I, I just think there's more headwinds than tailwinds for Amazon's business. Let's, and let's, the stock's hard, let's, we got stock's shoot, hard to value. Can we, yeah. can, we, can we talk about, can we shoehorn right now into this AI shenanigans yeah. that's going on right now? And <laughs> because it was like all of a sudden, one day, a group got together and says, you know, I think the market needs a new narrative. The narrative that we had that the China reopening is going to spur the world it, it's not working. What else can we come up with? And all of a sudden, this announcement like all over the place about AI, this guy AI, everybody got all excited, yeah. right? And people Now companies are changing their name to, you know, Horowitz AI or whatever it is, whatever, right? <laughs> it, it's unbelievable. And even, like I said, US Steel came out with an announcement this week that they're working with Google, their generative AI, to create better experiences for the employees in the mines. Like, yeah, it's how just, is that? I mean, we've seen this. We've seen this mania. I mean, you put your finger on it in the intro. Just every think of every big fad investment trend: Bitcoin, blockchain, even cannabis stocks. Going back to oh, I forgot about those. 2018, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Internet of Things, it, and you know, it would do people to study hype cycles of, uh, of uh, innovation. So Gartner is really famous for their emerging technologies hype cycles, which shows the kind of the phases of psychology and adoption. Um, if you want to geek out, it's, it's based on Michael Schumpter's, you know, economic destruction, creative destruction. But at the end of the day, it's basically shows that every new thing gets overhyped and under delivers and AI, I think is we're right in that. So like, if you want to do a real time temperature check on how hyped we are, you can use Google trends and just go look at Google trend da- uh, data and you can look, plug in AI, you can see it's off the charts. And that's usually a sign 
that you got to be careful that that area of the market is very frothy and there's going to be a lot more losers, uh, you know, in the, in the months ahead. I mean, I look at a company like NVIDIA, amazing run, but it is priced to perfection. And I bet you will be standing here a year from now talking about how that $4 billion in additional AI growth just didn't come to pass. I mean, it's just expectations have gotten so far out there. And I, I mean, what is AI, right? Like, this is the thing. Like, people don't understand. It's not a product. It's, an, it's a service that's going to underpin a lot of businesses. So I think when the, the hype uh, wears off and people start realizing that, hey, this is just a more powerful way to do things, um, they can't put their hands around a specific AI service. Uh, you're going to see valuations kind of come back in and when that growth just doesn't materialize. And as he was telling us the story, I went to Google Trends and I looked it up. And here's the information you want to know, right? So the peak, like like when it was like, and, and the way Google Trends works, it's 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 like the, the when you hit a peak of 100, it's like everybody's looking at that. That's like it. Yeah. It's like a thing. That was April 16th through the 22nd, approximately 2023, when all of a sudden it got spiked up. It, it started a little bit. It did spike up a bit back in December of last year. Now it's rolling down to the lowest point has been since I would say uh, pre-April 16th. You know, we're talking about the levels right about March yeah. of 2023. So they're starting to roll over down back uh, at the 50 levels from where it was over all the excitement. So something's going on there. But is there really promise in this like they're talking about? It seems like when you first heard about this, first you're like, oh, let's do it. Let's go to ChatGPT, OpenAI, let's open an account, and let's put in something like uh, – Write a poem for me about the sunshine in Florida in March and whatever, right? You know what I'm saying? And it would spit yeah. out this crazy thing. Or, hey, uh, write a Python script that will uh, create a table upon a user's input of their age. You know, that was like, oh, wow, we could write all the script, right? Um, and there's all these other things that can go on. And now we're starting to hear of, from that, which was a very simplistic, right, regurgitation of, things that were right. search to, oh, AI is the future. It is going to be able to replace a lot of jobs and help robotics. Now I heard they're looking into the biotech field of utilizing AI to do um, theoretical work to come up with drugs to synthesize. Yeah, there, so there's actually, I mean, some. I think there's some really good applications. I mean, we can talk in biotech. I think that makes a lot of sense. There's a company out there called Game Therapeutics. Um, I don't have a position in it, no disclosures there. Um, but they use basically machine learning and AI modeling to find um, receptor sites on cells that would be druggable. So they're basically using computers to accelerate what traditionally has been more of a scientific you know, trial and error approach. Right, so this and is called, then, by you know, the way, this, this, what, they, what he's describing is called, um, it, it's uh, silicon research. So, so in other Correct. words, what, what, tell, am I right, Lou? Yeah, yeah. You're using computers to research what, hey, this is a, we have a rare disease that results from this protein. A lot of genetic disorders are a protein in our body gets folded. It's, mis, it's misfolded. And because of that, the rest of everything downstream doesn't work. It's like if you put a dam over in front of a, a river, right? Like it slows the flow and how everything's going to supposed to function. And then they use computers, silicon, you're dead on, you put your finger on it to look at that and say, okay, what, what part of this cell uh, protein can we attach a drug to? We, we know what properties of what drugs attach to what receptors on different um, cells. And they do that instead of trying to guess or looking at what's in the literature, they use computers to find that more, uh, you know, just more efficiently. And then, you know, they're getting, it's going from, phase, you know, preclinical into uh, phase one trials and in, in one indication in Parkinson's. So I, I think there's promise there. There's another uh, AI based company called Lantern Pharma. 
that I do personally own. I've owned it for a little bit uh, for a while. It's trading at, at about cash. What they've done is they've basically aggregated, created a huge database of all the clinical trials to try and find patterns that weren't recognizable before. So if you had a small trial in India and another trial for a cancer, same cancer in, you know, in the U.S., um, a lot of times trying to compare that and, and aggregate that information was really hard. So I don't know that that's really AI, though, right? It's more just smarter well, database that's what I was management. Say. To well, find I, I remember yeah. years ago there was like a neuro research backtest uh, looking for pattern style system that I was checking out as looking at from a stock standpoint, right? But but it seems that, you know, we pull up all these different patterns and then you try to implement it. It was like, eh. You know, then you find yeah. another, oh, yeah, look at that. Every time, real time, eh. You know, it was like, wait a second. Um, and almost sometimes, to, you know, when the pattern is recognized, one of two things, it doesn't ever happen again. Or differently said, it, it maybe wasn't a pattern to begin with. We we, we did data mining. And that was some of this AI reminds me of, right? Yeah, this yeah. big data mining process that is going to, you know, try to give us something. And everybody is just, I mean, they are just excited about this stuff. NVIDIA has a chip. So you know what? You tell everybody this gold, you sell them the Levi's, you sell them the picks and shovels. <laughs> Those guys do great. The pan, the guys that are doing the, the, the handling of the, of the panning in the um, rivers are like just sucking wind. Right. You yeah. Know? No, I, I agree. I think that's, look, there's going to be incremental things that happen in innovations because of that's enabled by AI, but I don't see any fundamentally life-changing, you know, things that are going to, drastic uh in the next year two three years i mean think back with augmented reality virtual reality that was supposed to be a big thing the metaverse i mean we've been through these fads and these cycles before ai is definitely the latest and very few innovations live up to the hype i mean it's just you know so many things don't make it uh, and haven't we been using ai for a long time look at for example uber they're using an yeah. AI structure somehow to develop where the closest particular car is and utilizing that in terms of the mapping and all that to get you a car. That's a, a form of AI. So this whole AI thing didn't start, by the way, people, a big announcement. I don't want to shock anybody, but AI was not born in March of 2023. Oh, dude, so, you know, I was just going to say, we used to talk about it as predictive analytics. There were some stocks that were, you know, predictive analytics stocks going back, you know, seven, right. eight years ago. Right. Just put in you put a new label on, slap a new label on it. It sounds sexier, and people think it's you know it's a bigger deal, and they start throwing money after it. But let's talk about biotech for a second, because there was a couple of really interesting announcements this week in the terms of pharma and biotech. There was this whole weight loss thing with Majorno with Lilly, and you mm -hmm. got uh, Bogovi with uh, Nova Nordisk, and they you know stocks went berserko because people are saying, hey, wait, let me get this straight. I like donuts. I like beer, and for whatever reason, I don't know why I can't lose weight. Uh, but I can, but, but, and, and I exercise, I mean, I, I get in and out of the car every day. I know, you know, um, but somehow I can, instead of this whole gruesome Weight Watchers slash Jenny Craig f crap and deal with all that, right. And talk about my weight all the time and weigh and all that. All I can do is stab myself once a week or so with these A1C, I think A1C inhibitors, I think they call them. Um, yeah. and lose weight. And I've seen people do yeah. it, by the way. It works. It does work. No, works. same here. I know a few people that, it's, it, you know, the results are amazing. But I just worry. I mean, you're you're talking around it, too. I'll be blunt. Like, people are lazy. They don't want to be disciplined on what they eat and how they, you know, go about life. They want the quick fix. You know, we have a history of this. I mean, it was back in with the 80s or 90s with Fen Fen. And there's always drugs that are trying to solve the, the Scarsdale diet. Yeah, that, but then they, then it comes out like after time, like what are the side effects, right? So mm -hmm. 
you know, in the near term, people would look at the results and, you know, kind of scoff at what are the side effects. I think, you know, a couple of years from now, um, there's going to be some nasty side effects and this turns into class, act, class action lawsuits. So, I mean, that side of the biotech market doesn't interest me. What is really exciting and that's happening, and you're starting to see in type 1 diabetes, we saw this with a company we had originally founded and banked, um, is immunotherapies. The ther- basically, these aren't even drugs. They're basically figuring out a way to activate the body's natural immune response. Um, so these are these like biosimilars? Yeah, so biosimilars fit into that, but then it's it's actually, you know, just understanding how to trigger. So like there's another company out there, QBiopharma, that I disclose do own, we banked, uh, family owns, firm owns. So I have to say all that for FINRA regulations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting, all the craze with CAR-T, right? So this is, hey, we're going to take out T cells from a patient's body that has cancer, kind of gin them up and get, you know, make multiply them in the lab and then put them back in the body so they go and attack the cancer. The problem with CAR-T was that it was like carpet bombing the body. It activated all T cells, not just- But it was also, but, but, but let me just say one thing, Lou. It was also uh, designer drugs, right? And I mean that not in a bad way, right? It was right. your CAR-T. It was you. It had to be- Correct. It was, it was Correct. a fully designed, personalized, one, one of a kind. Let's say that. It's a one of a kind right. drug. Okay. Exactly. You're exactly right. So it was one of a kind. So now what's happening, Q is an example of this. There's other companies doing similar different things, but it's an off-the-shelf car T, but and and not a, not only that, so it's not personalized where you have to have that patient take the blood. It's actually just administered. But it's also is uh, like a laser-guided missile, not carpet carpet bombing. It's targeted immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. So I think targeted immunotherapies are really interesting because they're basically what you're seeing. Uh, with you, then their their first indication they've gone after is nasty head and neck cancer, recurrent nasty uh, head and neck cancer, and patients that are on the drug for about you know three to four doses are now living 12, 14, 15 months when they were only supposed to live another three to four, and that's what you're seeing is the body is naturally over time, it's re-stimulating the immune system. There's no side effects. It's been very very safe because you're doing exactly what the body is supposed to do. Um, so I think there's so. There's a lot of development going on in that immunotherapy space where you have limited side effects, increased efficacy. We're figuring out finally how to activate naturally the body. Um, so I think there'll be a day. I mean, I mean, think about go back to the 80s, right? When we worried about uh, AIDS and HIV. It's really a very treatable thing now. I think we fast forward another decade from now. Uh, cancer is going to be something that's very treatable to the point where. Hey, we know we as long as we can identify the cancer, we're going to have an immunotherapy that will take care of it. Kind of like uh, you take aspirin for a headache; it'll be that direct correlation. So that that great. stuff That'd is really amazing. yeah. Now, it, what about yeah, something that I'm interested great. in? It's a, a similar type of very advanced uh, biotechnology, really more of a technology because it's really kind of because CRISPR. You, 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 what do you think about the whole CRISPR um, opportunity? Yeah, I mean, CRISPR, I think you get into playing God, right? Like cutting Right, we'll so play God for a little while, that'd be fine. But I'm saying that there are things, <laughs> yeah. but, but let's not go that far. Let's not go to the whole thing right. that, you know, right. I, I want to, you know, he, let, take take this, uh, clip it, do it, uh, shave this gene and put it back, make my wife pregnant, and we're going to have, uh, you know, a six foot two, blue eyed, blonde haired, <laughs> forget that. Let, let's talk about, oh, there's a, a genetic deficiency that we can solve through utilizing of a reprogramming of the strand. Yeah, no, and I think that's the great application. I think it's another, you know, it's another leap forward in our technology um, in treating healthcare. The problem that you see a lot of times, and this is, this applies across technology. It just takes a long time to get mm-hmm. to a point where you, and especially in biotech, you know, the average drug development time is 10 to 12 years. It costs two, if you're in cancer, it's $3 billion. And 
or more. And it, you know, it's a three to 5% success rate. Um, for, so I, it's just a, as an investor, it's a really, you have to be patient in these spaces as the, you know, the patient on the other end. I think all of this is super promising. I mean, we want to see these developments advance because they're, you know, like you said earlier, we're, we're, we're seeing the fruits of that in our politicians and, uh, you know, they're living longer. Uh, we need to get them out of office, but there's a lot of new and exciting developments that are going on. I think CRISPR is one of them. Um, you know, I think I'm trying to pull up the stock here too, because that was, you know, that was a fad stock for a while too. Uh, CRST, CRISPR Therapeutics. I mean, I like CRISPR. It's, there's, it's, there's, there's a couple of other ones. There's one that does, yeah. uh, there's, there's Editas and there's, yep. um, one that does ba uh, base um, base pairing um, it begins with the B. The symbol is B something or other. I don't remember, but anyway, yeah, there's there's three or four different companies that are the big names out there. Yeah, and I'm looking at the charts, and it's funny. I mean, we're talking about kind of hype cycles, overhyped with AI. If you look at these CRISPR stocks, they had a you know big runs coming in the pandemic, um, you know, end of 2020. Um, so you know that's the thing. I think it's probably it's a lesson for investors that when you're involved in a hype type or hype driven market or technology, you can make a lot of money. You just got to have a sell discipline because yeah. you, I call them EKG stocks, right? They go up and down like an EKG reading and you have to have a, a strategy to trade around that. Otherwise you, you know, you round trip a lot of stuff. So I'll tell you a quick story about that. If you don't mind, I was, I was on, this, yeah, is, this sure. is a true story. I'm on, I'm on a, a bus trip. Uh, well, no, I'm on a trip and I'm on a bus and I'm in Egypt. I'm in Egypt. And this is the news that comes out that morning is that the new Trump, Social, remember DWAC, that symbol, uh, is going to go live and it's going to be IPOing and it's going to be the IPO for the Trump Twitter alternative company, right? That this and that. My friend is a bit of a Trump fan, right? So he's back in the day. <laughs> and uh, I tell him about this. He says, Oh, it's interesting. He doesn't trade stocks very much. Uh, he says, Oh, what do I do? I said, Well, if you want to buy some, you're going to buy some. He says, yeah. I said, You know what? You know, you probably get a big move on this from everybody that's thinking who all the Trump lovers will buy the stock, right? That's what I said, right? Yeah. He says, okay, so he bought some. So the stock, I'm on the bus traveling from, uh, one, from one, one pyramid to another in Egypt, no lie. The stock goes from, I don't even remember what it was, like 40 to like 130. Like all, yeah. within this hour or so that I'm on the bus with him. I said to him, listen to me. This is one of those things where you take your profits and run. You know, yeah. you made on a 15, whatever, like a 1500 or $2,000 investment, he made like 10 grand. That's what happened. Whatever yeah. the, whatever the sequence yeah. was, he made that. He goes, you know what? I really believe in this stock. I'm like, dude, <laughs> I just told you about the stock 15 minutes ago. You knew nothing about it before. What are you believing in? Well, I believe that yeah. if you know this and that, I said, do me a favor, just carve out what you put into this thing and then let the rest run. So now his profits yeah. from 10,000 are down to like a thousand. Maybe. Yeah, no, and that's 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 DWAC, Digital World Acquisition. That yep. was a crazy run. Um, I actually sparred with, you know, Devin Nunez, former politician, went over to run that as CEO. So we had some fiery exchanges on mornings with Maria when I was telling them that, like, I just don't see this business working. Um, it's, it's tough. And, and you were right. Stuff. Yeah, that stock, that stock was it was insane. I mean, but look, they tapped into royal like communities are powerful. I mean, think of what propelled Tesla in the early days. It wasn't a volumes, shipment volumes, it was the potential and it was a, just a crazy community that believed in the vision. I think you see that happen here with, you know, with True Social and Digital World Acquisition. It was, it tapped into those very engaged Trump, like, I mean, super supporters and what do they care, right? Like, they're like, hey, I'm supporting the mission, so I'll, I'll hold the stock for longer. But you're right, you, you did the right thing. You told your friend to, to sell, but 
Um, he believes yeah, in it. People seldom, it. seldom listen. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's 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 finish this round this out with a couple of different things. One, um, sure. something that you're you know, and maybe some of the things we talked about. Something that you're, you're really excited about, and I'll give you the secondary so you can put it in the back there. Something that if you're reaching over and looking under the bed, that scares the hell out of you right now. So yeah. let's, let's let me start, start with that one. So you start with that one. Which one you want to start with? <laughs> yeah. Let me start with what scared me. China scares me. So I, I would tell you that you know traditionally oil has been the commodity that's powered economic growth for the last hundred years. Um, for the next hundred years, it's semiconductors, and uh, China's potential invasion of Taiwan is a severe threat to the entire world from that standpoint because over sixty percent of semiconductors and all the high end mission critical type ones are made in Taiwan. So China, you know, their own domestic production of semiconductors is large, but it's not the, the, the stuff that we rely on, um, you know, for security and uh, just high end applications militarily. So I think that's what that's what keeps me up at night, because you've seen our response in Ukraine. I mean, what was supposed to be a, a short skirmish has turned into a what year happened? What happened over there? And I it was supposed to be like a week. Yeah. And then because of that, you know, China feels emboldened. I mean, I think people don't recognize China thinks in decades while we think in election terms, right? So it's like in the U.S., it's like, what's when's the next midterm election? And that's how we plan. But China's, you know, they're watching how we're responding to Ukraine. And I think it emboldens them. And that's what, what keeps me up. Right? China emboldened to invade Taiwan um, would wreak havoc. And, uh, and, and the they're getting a little bit last few weeks with the, 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 the crossings of the Taiwan lines by fighter jets and things like yeah. that have, have, have definitely picked up. Yeah. Yeah. So that keeps me up at night. Um, I, you know, what it keeps, what, what excites me though, from a broad macro level is even COVID cannot stop the innovation economy. So if you look at patent filings globally, there's hardworking, brilliant men and women throughout this world that are getting up every day, advancing science across fields. And these, these, for me, that's always the biggest leading indicator, right? So people will say that stocks always follow earnings, right? The company that keeps growing profits, quarter over quarter, the stock's going to follow suit. And I agree. But before you have earnings, you have to have sales. Before you have sales, you have to have a product. And in today's super competitive world, before you have a product, you have to have IP. You've got to have innovations that are underpinning that. If you don't, you get knocked off, ripped off. That's why you know Snap could never one-up Meta and Facebook because they didn't have any IP. And, and you saw Facebook rip off any new innovation. So I'm encouraged by all the innovation that's going on. I mean, at our firm, that's really what we focus on. We have one of only one of four globally translated patent databases that lets us very quickly see where innovation is happening and then also um, see where new new technologies fit in into that. Do they have you know freedom to operate and is it really going to be groundbreaking? Um, so I, again, I don't think it gets talked about a lot. Uh, I wrote an op-ed for Newsweek, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago saying that, hey, let's stop arguing over is there going to be a recession? Let's argue over how long the next recession is going to last. And I think if you look at what happened with uh, patent filings, these are the products and sales and profit drivers of the next economic boom. Um, these patent filings, are we're going to have a short, it'll be a shallow recession because of that. So that so is this, is this me, right? the equivalent, I mean, if I could bring this to, um, you know, show this uh, as an example, is the patent filings in the world of technology and innovation to next business to product the same thing maybe as a, a well-known number like pending home sales that goes into construction spending, that goes into home sales, that goes into then existing, new home sales and existing, you know what I mean? Is that, yeah, yeah. Is, is that way, where it's back I, in the line? I would, 
I would agree with I would I would agree with that. I mean, there was actually I think it was Silver Light Capital had done a study. If you tracked patent filings and compared it to stock price performance of the big tech companies, the S and P five hundred, it was actually a, a very strong leading indicator. So there's definitely a correlation to it. So, mm-hmm. like you said, there's certain data points that if we pay attention to um, broadly, it helps understand where we're headed. We go, you know, we love to look at top down, but we go bottom up. We say, hey. Where is the biggest innovation going on in biotech? What is it and what has the most upside? And we kind of find the small companies or technology that are embedded in universities. So we've done that historically over the last 25 years, spun out technologies from universities via their transfer tech transfer mm-hmm. office and put a company around that. So, um, well, yeah, that was, I mean, that was the whole COVID thing, right? That was the whole Moderna thing that was created actually yeah. in a university, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a long-winded way to say that, you know, our, our greatest asset in America is innovation. So when, you know, we talk about what we should be doing, it's protecting IP, uh, making sure that we can't get ripped off uh, by, you know, foreign adversaries in terms of this intellectual property, because it really is going to drive the economic booms and and just things that make life better, easier, and safer in the years ahead. So finally, I'm assuming that you have a long-term hold on stocks. I mean, if you're looking for a, a incubator type of biotech company or healthcare or anything, technology, it doesn't matter, any of that genre, right? Which has a, a potential product that looks really promising. I mean, this isn't like a three month trade. This is, this has got to be. No, I, I tend to be a more investor versus trader, right? So there's always trading opportunities that come up, but you know, that's the trick is trying to figure out where the inflection points are. At what point does a technology launch into broad commercialization, right? I mean, think about biometrics, that technology existed forever. I mean, back to the 80s, but it didn't really launch until the smartphone converged to make biometric authentication something that is meaningful and, mm-hmm. and useful. Right. So I think that's the trick. I mean, from a general standpoint, look, most of my hold times are one to three years, um, just as you're waiting for things to play out. Now, you know, I talked about it before. I refer to some of these early stage innovative companies as EKG stocks. So you got to have a strategy where you trade around it. So you own a position on run up, like you advise your friend, you take them off. Uh, on pullbacks, he puts them back to work. Uh, I don't think the days of buy and hold can exist anymore. And today, especially after COVID and what we saw with all these crazy meme stocks where people just blindly bought. So um, they're still I blindly buying. Been, they're buying Tupperware. They're I buying know. Rite Aid. They're buying. They're buying Yellow. Hey, they're all exciting. Charlie Gasparino, which you've probably been interviewed because he was a fact Fox News for a while. I don't know what has happened to that guy. Um, but he was I like talking know. about how Yellow has all these suitors and stuff after they close the other day. And I'm thinking, oh, dude, come on now. They're 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 liquidating. Dude. I know. If Tupperware parties are coming back, coming yeah, back, shoot yeah, me. Right, there's right, no right. way, man. Yeah. So exactly. uh, it's insane. Like that, that yellow stock ran up 1300% in like the span of a, two weeks. It's right. insane. Because it's going bankrupt. I mean, that's it. You got to sometimes go and buy the stupid companies, right? You, you, the companies that are going bankrupt. You got to, but it was Hertz. Look at how Hertz. I have friends Hertz, that bought Hertz. Yeah. I'm like, why are you buying Hertz? Well, they're probably going to make a comeback because they're filing for bankruptcy. Somehow, <laughs> yes. magically, by the way, they made money on the deal. Yeah, it's crazy. Luke, so, tell, everybody I, yeah, I don't, to, I, tell everybody how to get in touch with you. Yeah, the best way is just go to our site, publicventures.com. You'll find out uh, what our unique model is to looking at new technologies that can be market leaders. So that's the, the best there. And uh, just tune into other media. I'm usually out making the rounds, arguing something controversial about big tech companies. So. <laughs> okay, publicventures.com. Lou Bassanese, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. And that's the show. That's all we got. Thank you so much for joining me this week, every week on the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Good information from Lou. Uh, We talked about technology, biotech. We talked about what is lurking underneath the bed and things that are worrying him, as well as some things that are happening with the markets with uh, the current eco 
of course. CPI really didn't touch on that. Uh, nothing burger in terms of where it was, uh, although I don't see necessarily anything changing that much from the markets right now. Um, I think there's a lot of disappointment in uh, some of the things, but a lot of uh, excitement in others. I mean, that's that, not a cop-out. That's what's happening. Anyway, we'll talk more about this this week with our coming guests and on the show. Stay tuned. Tell your friends. Tell your folks. And just uh, be there. I'll be there for you. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you again next week. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition... The information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida, and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.